I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Our main text today is Judges 12, 1 through 3, but I want to give you the first three verses of Judges 8 for context. These are three of the verses that were supposed to be in the sermon from uh, a week ago, a week and a day ago, but we didn't have time. So I want to include this as context for today's devotion text. Here's Judges 8, verses 1 through 3. The men of Ephraim, and by the way, there's multiple pronunciations. Forgive me. I'm gonna call I'm gonna pronounce it Ephraim and the Ephraimites, all right, because I hear multiple translations, uh, multiple pronunciations. The men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us, not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites? And they argued with him violently. So in Judges chapter eight, they're arguing with Gideon. Gideon had been used of God to lead the battle against the Midianites and you know, 40 years of peace come. And so naturally when there's peace, obviously there's going to be civil strife, okay? Because they're not fighting against their enemies. Then now they're fighting against each other. Uh, the Ephraimites were supposed to be, I mean, they're Israelites. They're on the same side, but they show up late. And this is not the last time they'll do this. Do you remember in the movie Gladiator, Marcus Aurelius is Caesar. His son is Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix. And in the opening scene, there's this big battle and Rome wins. Commodus shows up late and asks, did I miss it? Did I miss the battle? And then Marcus Aurelius says, you've missed the war. Later we see Walking Phoenix's character, Commodus, rehearsing a choreographed fake battle to make it look like he's taking on several dudes at once heroically. He liked the appearance of glory, but he was never there for any of the fighting. I think that's what Ephraim is doing here. And, and I'll, I'll show you why. So he said to them, what have I done now compared to you? See how those words are appealing to their ego? Is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? Look, look up, look at how fruitful your vineyards are. God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? See, he's asked, what have I done compared to you? And then again, sort of reiterating it with an altered wording, what was I able to do compared to you? He's stroking their ego. When he said this, their anger against him subsided. The fact that he was clearly just practicing tartuffery, he was just being sycophantic, he was just sucking up to them, he was just trying to boost their ego, and it worked is what makes me think that they're not being honest. They're, they're not being for real here. They were sitting on their hands during the battle. And when the fighting's over, they show up, and the, the text says in verse 1, violently argued against Gideon as to why they weren't invited to the fight. Sorry, my phone was on silent. I missed the call to war, and I'm mad at you about that. <laughs> And then Gideon's like, oh, but I'm nothing compared to you. Look at your immense grape harvest and, and look, uh, look at what you did with the princes of Midian and, and look, uh, I'm not able to do what you're able to do. And then the fact that they're like, hmm, you know what? I like this guy. The fact that it worked to me is the giveaway. This was all about pride. This is pure ego. They're being disingenuous and they do it again, this time to Jephthah. Okay, here's... The main text that I want to cover today, the men of Ephraim were called together and crossed the Jordan to Zephon. They said to Jephthah, 
Why have you crossed over to fight against the Ammonites, but didn't call us to go with you? We will burn your house with you in it. Wow. That escalated quickly. That's also really unwarranted and overly violent, especially if you just feel jilted like you were left out of the glorious battle. Like, hey, Ephraim, maybe show up on time for once and you'll actually get to do what you claim you so desperately, murderously want to do. There are people who want the glory, but they don't want to do the work. They'll act like they've been left out when good things begin to happen. But what they really want is attention. What they really want is glory without the effort. What they really want is just to have their egos boosted. Then Jephthah said to them, My people and I had a bitter conflict with the Ammonites. So I called for you, but you didn't deliver me from their power. When I saw that you weren't going to deliver me, there's a little bit of ego boost there, I took my life in my own hands. There's some selfish ego in that. And crossed over to the Ammonites, and the Lord handed them over to me. Why then have you come today to fight against me? I don't think that Jephthah's being forthright either. I think this is an argument between two sides. Both are supposed to be encompassed within the people of God. And I don't think that either side is being totally genuine. This is the era of the judges. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. We've already seen how Jephthah is prone to speaking out of total ignorance. We've seen how he made this completely unsolicited and wickedly unwarranted vow, this wholly unbiblical concept of sacrificing his own child. It's worth noting that they're threatening to burn his house down, but in effect, long term, Jephthah's house has already been burned down. He only had one daughter, and she's dead now by Jephthah's hand. So we've already seen Jephthah speak totally unbiblically. We've seen Jephthah confuse Molech and Chemosh. We've seen what a bonehead Jephthah really is. And I, I don't think that he's being forthright here either. I think that he's saying, look, I, I called. It must not have gone through. I, I, I texted you. Maybe it was the wrong number. Uh, you know, maybe your phone uh, was on airplane mode because we definitely, we definitely sent you two emails and a text with an emoji in it and you didn't come. And, and, and when I saw that you weren't going to be there with all of your might to deliver me and to save my life, I very bravely took my life in my own hands. That, this is not true. He was anointed with the Spirit of God. He, he was told by God what would happen. He wasn't really taking his life in his own hands. He was just doing the bare minimum of what a judge should have done. And that is what God said to do. <laughs> and then there's, the, if, if this is indeed disingenuous, if this is indeed not true, because it's not accounted for in the biblical narrative, what Jephthah claims here is nowhere in the text. It's possible that he did do this and it just wasn't recorded in the text, but my gut tells me that he's fabricating this. That means that he's using the name of the Lord to try to add credibility to his case. This is something else that Christians will sometimes do. If you've ever heard someone come to you in the name of the Lord and claiming to have had uh, some divine revelation from God that they give to you to get you to do something that they want, and God never laid this on their hearts. It wasn't from the Spirit of God. It was from a spirit, just not the Holy Spirit. Watch out. This is straight-up Gnosticism reward. There are people who will come claiming the name of the Lord, but doing so in vain, violating a commandment. Remember, this uh, for for uh, Jephthah's case, this, this is the Old Testament. 
this is under the law of Moses. If he has indeed fabricated this and then evoked the name of the Lord, then he sinned by doing this. However, the statement itself is not entirely untrue. The Lord handed them over to me. Indeed, God does get the credit for everything that happened. So on both sides of this debate, between the men of Ephraim and Jephthah, there's reason to find fault. The sad truth is that you thought you were done dealing with jealous people in middle school, and then you got to high school and you saw that that stuff kept happening. And you thought you were done when you went to college and you saw that that stuff still existed. And then you entered the workplace and you thought, surely by now, people being spiteful, saboteurs and slanderers and gossips, sniping from the sidelines, taking pot shots from the cheap seats. Surely I'm done with that now that we're all grown adults, right? No, it still happens. There's an entire for-profit industry within the Christian world that exists for that reason. That happens in the church staff office. That happens in parachurch organizations. This is shameful, Christians. Buck up. Grow up. Stop sniping the people who are on your side. Would you take a brutal look at this text and see if you can spot your reflection in it, please. Because it could be that maybe you haven't experienced a whole lot of darts from fellow believers who are supposed to be on your side. Maybe if you're totally honest, you're like, I'm kind of like the men of a frame. I'm kind of like that. I scroll through social media and I see a believer standing in front of the new house that they just bought, and it makes me have ill will toward them when it ought not have any effect on me. I'm supposed to be content with what I have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. This is bait on a rusty barbed hook from the enemy, and I'm chomping right down on it. Would you please, for the good of the kingdom of God and the mission of the gospel, analyze your heart and see if you have that spirit of covetousness in your heart. I want some of that glory for me. Rather than drinking the cup that God has given you, you want what's in someone else's cup. And that's not for you to decide. You do what God called you to do, where God called you to do it now. You don't know what's in someone else's cup. What shows up on social media is either just artifice, it's crafted to look as glamorous as possible and it's all a lie covering up misery or it could be just genuinely honest beautiful photos of great moments that are worth sharing because that's significant and you should like seeing that you should be happy for your brother in christ who just bought a new house and that's worth that's a photo worthy moment and you don't want social media to be an endless stream of misery and complaint you don't want that either so either it's artifice and it's fake or it's noteworthy and it's worth praising God over. Come to the place where you can genuinely praise God when you see someone else prosper, when you see someone else do something tremendous for the kingdom of God, because that's the side you're on, bro. You might be on the sidelines right now and the starter in the game may have just made a big play, but you're wearing the same jersey and you are reflected in the same score that's on the scoreboard for your team. 
please, for the good of the kingdom of God, analyze your heart. See if there is jealousy in it. Look at, look at Jephthah's conduct as well. And consider if you may have come across this kind of thing. And if you have used disingenuous statements to try to placate someone who's being hostile, see the futility in that. It is better to be loving and honest and let the truth set you free than it is to tell a white lie just to silence someone who's being belligerent and hostile because it will make things worse in the long run. There's like an argument between two immature believers. And I think that it's best applied by spotting our own reflections in this kind of behavior. Please, before you get out of your car, please, before you take your headphones out, please go before the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to do a deep inventory and tell you if there are ways in which you're like the men of Ephraim, you're like Jephthah, perhaps. Confess it. Repent from it. Get back on mission. We're all on the same side.